The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you pray with me again? And Father, as we've gathered, as we have sung songs of worship to you, as we have prayed, as we have read your word, now we take this time to open your word and to give our attention to the study of it. And in that, our worship continues. This is a bowing down before you, a coming under your word. And Lord God, I pray that today as your word is opened, as it's proclaimed, that your spirit would work among us to give us understanding. Not just that we would understand the the meanings of words on these pages, but that we would understand that this is divine truth and that adherence to it is life, that in your word we understand your plan for us, not just how we live and behave each day, though that is true, but also your great plan of redemption and salvation and your plan to come back and to make all things right and set all things new. Lord, would you give us that understanding in your word, that today we would know it, that we would get it, that even for one person here today, that today would be the day that they understand your word, that that spark is ignited where they fall in love with you through your word. And I pray that you would do that in all of us, that you would give us a greater desire for your word. Work through the preaching by the power of your spirit. I ask and I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat and take up your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 19. In considering Psalm 19, I was thinking about my work, the work that I I do during the week, construction and, and maintenance, and it's often reported to me that something is in need of repair. I'll I'll arrive at work tomorrow and maybe I'll have an email or there'll be a note or someone will just tell me that the truck isn't working or the string trimmer is broken or this faucet has issues. That's not very helpful. It's helpful to know that there's a problem But to know what the problem actually is, 
My response oftentimes is, well, there's a thousand ways that a truck won't work. So let's try to narrow this down a little bit more. Not just the general, it's not working, but let's get to the more specific so that we can move forward in trying to fix whatever this problem is. The specifics really help. Psalm 19 is kind of divided up between the general and the specific. The general we see in verses 1 through 6. It is giving us the general revelation of God. That God is seen, that God is understood through his creation. And that's good, and that's right, and that's helpful, but only to an extent. We need to move past that and get into the specifics. And that's what we have starting in verse 7 is specific revelation. Moving from general revelation to specific revelation about God. And that is found in God's word. The specific revelation of God is found in his word. That's what we have here this morning, church. I want you to understand what a blessing it is, what a privilege it is that we have the word of God. What a gift this is that we have the revelation of God to us and that we can take it up at any moment of the day or night, wherever we go. Many of us will even carry it on our phones. We'll have a copy of the Holy Bible. There's an app for that and we can open it and we can read it and we can refer to it. It's a great Blessing. It's a wonderful privilege to have the specific revelation of God. Not just generally what he's like, that he's creator, that he's strong and powerful and majestic, but specifically what his character and his attributes are, what work he has done in his creation, especially in regards to redemption, salvation, forgiveness of sins. Well, we're going to spend our time this morning working through all of Psalm 19, but the bulk of our time is going to be spent in this specific revelation That is, verses 7 through 11. David tells us some things about God's word that we really need to just camp on for a while, spend time in, saturate ourselves with. And as was my prayer this morning, so it's been my prayer this week, and it's my hope that it'll really get in, that it'll really get into us this morning. 
Not just that we'll know more things, fill our heads with more knowledge, but that we'll really grab hold of it, that we will know it, that we will understand it, that God's word would take hold of us, grip us, that we would be given over to it. Well, first off, we see in these opening six verses, we see God's glory revealed in nature. We read in verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There is no denying as you look around and as you see creation around us, that there is a God who is behind that. There is a God who is above that. The heavens declare his glory. That is his majesty. If you remember that scene in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has the vision of the throne and the seraphim, one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of what church? His glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Look around and you see within God's creation, God's glory, his majesty. Wow. Especially in a place like we live, and we hear it often. You talk to people. Uh, People pull over on the highway near our house regularly. They pull over and they park to get pictures of the mountain. You see people out there taking selfies with the mountain in the background. The mountain is beautiful, but not to be worshipped. It's to direct us to the God of glory. John Calvin, he called nature, and I love this, the theater of the glory of God. Do you ever feel that way, that you're just in a theater watching the glory of God? Look around you and see his majesty. Verse two, day to day, pours out speech night to night reveals knowledge this this pouring out it's a gushing forth a flowing freely i want you to think of abundance day to day there is an abundance of proclamation of god's glory Every day, if you pause, if you consider, if you have your eyes open, if you have your ears tuned, if you have your, your senses tied into what is God doing, you hear the birds, you smell the flowers, all of these things, you start to, to see, you feel the, the warmth of the sun, Day to day pours out speech. Even apart from words, there is this proclamation, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. There is no speech, verse 3, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Everywhere, 
And to everyone, there is no escaping this. There is no getting away from it. There can be no ignorance of it, except for that which we would choose to hold on to. It's revealed to all, through all the earth, to the end of the world. David then, he moves to using the sun as an example. In them, he has a set a tent for the sun. It comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun makes its course that all know its presence, all know its power. There's no getting away from it. There's no denying it. And so it is with the glory of God. The glory of God's nature, even as magnificent as it is, is still limited. It is still limited. It is not as magnificent as the glory of God's goodness that is revealed to us in the Bible. We can know things about God by observing creation. We can know the majesty of God, the power of God, but it is when we come to God's specific revelation of himself through his word that we really come to know God. And so that's what our attention is drawn to next, beginning in verse 7. And in verses 7 through 9, I want you to see this. There, There are six different references to the word of God. Verse 7, the first line, the law of the Lord. And then the second part of verse 7, the testimony of the Lord. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord. And then the commandment of the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord. And lastly, in verse 9, the rules of the Lord. So there are these six references to the word of God. Then, along with these six references to the word of God... There are also six descriptions of it and six results, outcomes of the word of God. In verse 7 now, this is a big transition. It's a big transition in this psalm, and and I want to point that out because it's important for us to understand If you look back in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. In the Hebrew, it's El, E-L, El. It's a very general reference to God, a general reference to God, kind of a generic name, we could say, for God. In verse 7, the law of the Lord. Now, what's the difference? Well, in my translation of the Bible, and probably in your translation of the Bible, as you look at the word Lord in verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 9, 
Also down in verse 14, you'll see that Lord is in all capital letters. And the translators did that to help us to understand something of the language that's behind these English words. Lord, in all capital letters, that is a reference to the personal and the specific name of God. No longer this generic title, God, but Lord, Jehovah. This is the God of covenant love with Israel. This is the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember? Moses, go back to Egypt and bring my, my people out from bondage under Pharaoh. Who do I tell them sent me? I am who I am. God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. And then also, this is the God on Sinai who passed before Moses, Exodus 34, and proclaimed. This is God speaking to Moses. The Lord proclaims the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and righteousness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, even to the third and the fourth generation. That was God's specific revelation of himself to Moses, his specific declaration, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Now those things, those characteristics, those attributes, that God, the the self-existing one, that God, merciful and gracious, That can't be understood by nature alone. We need a greater, a more specific revelation. And that's what we get in the Bible, in the word of God. So in verses seven through nine, we have this consideration of God's word. And we start in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. So there's the reference, the law of the Lord. That's what the Bible scripture is referred to as the law of the Lord. We have its description that it is perfect and then its outcome or the result, reviving the soul. And there are six sets like this in verses seven, eight, and nine. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law, the the Torah, the scripture. We might say in in our day and age, the Bible. It's, It's a way of referring to scripture. It is perfect. The Bible is perfect. Scripture is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. 
That means that it is complete, that it is whole, that it is all, that it is without defect, that it is without blemish. The law of the Lord, it's complete and it's without blemish. It is perfect. This means if it is complete, the law of the Lord is complete, God didn't miss anything when he had scripture put together, when he ordained the writing of it, when he inspired the writing of it. And the putting together of those books, God had his hand in all of it so that it was complete, that it was perfect. It has instruction for all of life. It is what we need. I want you to understand that, church, that that scripture gives us the answers for life. It's not that, well, I have the Bible, but, you know, I've got these other pressing matters, and, I, and so I, I need this other counsel apart from God's word. God's word is what we need, and it will give us instruction for all of life. It's full of goodness. It's what we need to be constantly filled with. It touches on all points of life, and it gives us instruction. And as it is heated, what do we read? Reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. I don't know about you, but in recent months, that's been my cry. Lord, revive my soul. Maybe today you're here and you say, I'm great There is a season of spiritual richness and joy, and that's where I'm at. What would you attribute that to? It can't be attributed to anything other than God reviving your soul. And if that's not where you're at, if you're in a a season where you're struggling or you're in a place where you're just dry, maybe going through the motions... What is your need? It's for the word of God. Because the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. So as we spend time in it, as we bring it into our minds, as we allow God's word to wash us and to fill us, it brings about a soul revival. That's true for us who are believers, that it will continue to revive us, give us life. It is also true for those who are unbelievers. It is only by the word of God that salvation can come. It's not our convincing. It's not our proving. It's not our worldly wisdom that's going to draw someone from death to life. It is the word of God. It is God's plan of salvation and his work of redemption, which is laid out in scripture that is going to bring about that change that someone would go from death to life, bondage to Satan, to a servant of Christ. It revives the soul. Next, we see the testimony 
of the Lord. That's the second reference to the word of God, the testimony of the Lord. And what does it say about it? It is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What this means is that whatever God says about a matter, it is trustworthy. The testimony, that is the declaration, the witness. If someone gives testimony, they're saying, this is what happened. They're giving their witness account. And God's witness, the testimony of the Lord, it is sure. There does not have to be any question, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this true? Is this false? Is God telling me the right thing? It is trustworthy. It is sure. You can take it to the bank. You can build your life upon it. And the result is that the simple are made wise. Do you understand that? As you adhere to the word of God, as you adhere to the testimony of the Lord, which is true, which is trustworthy, that you are made wise. We might not understand completely. Right? You might say, I'm obeying God's word. I don't understand all the complexities of it. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Sometimes my, my own logic or my own reasoning might even be telling me to do otherwise, but I'm going to trust God's sure testimony. And as you do, your flesh might want to rebel. Your understanding of a situation might be limited, but holding on to and adhering to God's word is right. It results in good and it makes the simple wise. As you adhere to God's word, it results in, in a great wisdom being laid out, lived out, that there, there is knowledge that is applied. I am living this out. I am walking this out. And even the world might look at it and say, it's foolishness. That's what Paul came up against time and time again in his preaching. He was preaching Christ and him crucified. And he says that it's the, the foolishness is what the world says. But in God's eyes and in God's estimation, in God's economy, it is wisdom. And that's the opinion that really matters. That's the judgment that really counts. What does God have to say about this? Verse 8, our third reference to Scripture, the precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts. This is instruction that's given. These are orders that would be given, you might say, they are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. When God gives instruction in his word, know that instruction is right. 
I give wrong instruction sometimes. I don't know enough about a situation. I, I tell my kids to do one thing and find out I told them to do the wrong thing. But God is not fallible. God does not make mistakes. When he gives instruction, it is right and it will cause your heart to rejoice as you follow that instruction. Now follow this through with me because it's not always immediate. Sometimes you do what God's word says and you think this is really hard. This has actually seemed to make the situation worse. Maybe people that I got along with before, they don't even like me now because I'm following what God's word says. It can be really difficult. But the precepts, the instruction of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart as you walk with the Lord, as you grow in relationship to the Lord, your heart becomes more and more aligned with God's heart and you begin to know by experience this rejoicing that David writes about. This rejoicing that David writes about. You get to look back and you get to see how, wow, adhering to God's word and following his instructions, yeah, in that moment or for that season, it was really difficult. But I see now, over time, it has proven true and my heart rejoices in it. As I look back at past occurrences and I can rejoice because I thought otherwise, I felt otherwise. I thought that this is what I should be doing. I felt like this is what I should be doing. I wanted to do otherwise than what God's word was telling me to do. And everything within me was pulling in a different direction. But as I submitted to God's word and walked in it, I am now in a place of rejoicing. I am now in a place of rejoicing. Do you understand that? That following God's instructions as God has laid out in his word will result in your joy? What is it that that you have in your mind this morning that you think this is what is going to be my joy? This is, this is what my heart's desire is. This is what I want. This is, if it were accomplished, it were, if it were achieved, then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be satisfied. What is that for you? I'll tell you, if it is not in line with what God's word says, you're believing a lie. It will not bring you joy. It will not bring you satisfaction. It will not bring you contentment. And even as hard as it might be to follow the instruction of the Lord, and you think, well, that'll be giving up what I most want. 
In the end, what you will know is rejoicing in your heart. That takes faith. That takes trust. That takes believing that what God says is true. God, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not what I want. But I'm going to make that hard decision to follow your word, to adhere to your instruction because I believe your word and it tells me that doing so will result in my heart rejoicing. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but I know it will be. I know it will come. The precepts, the instructions of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Next, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That pure, that means it's radiant. That means it's, it's shining. I think of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Also, Psalm 119, verse 105, says that your word You know this, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As you spend time in the word of God, there's light given. It is pure, it is radiant, it is shining so that it casts light on on your life so that you can navigate life correctly, that you're not stumbling around in darkness. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You see things that you would have never seen before as you follow and as you adhere to God's word. Now, I want to pause because I keep saying that as you follow, as you adhere to God's word. And that really is, is the key. It's not just about knowing. It's not just about knowing God's word. The Bible exists. And I believe certain things about it. Or I'm really good at Bible trivia. You ask me a question and I can give you the answer. Maybe I can even give you the address. I can tell you chapter and verse for where it's found. And that's all good. But that's not what this is really speaking about. It is adherence to God's word. It is obeying God's word. Not just knowing it, that yeah, it's all up here. I've got it. I can pass the tests. It's about God's word getting out into your fingers, into your hands, so that the things that you do, you are doing as unto the Lord in obedience to him. It's about God's word getting into your mouth so that it changes the way that you speak, the things that you speak about how you speak. It's about God's word getting down to your feet, changing the way that you walk, 
I had the, the privilege in 2008 of going to Burkina Faso, West Africa, and we were teaching pastors how to teach the Bible. And we got to go to a, a Bible college there and teach a class on trying to, I'm drawing a blank now, observation, interpretation, and application. Uh, the Bible study method. You observe the text, you interpret the text, you apply the text. So observation, interpretation, application. And as we are teaching this, we, we are trying to, we're working with a translator. So they're translating it then for these students in Burkina Faso. And we got to this application. And they were trying to come up with a, a word for application. And the word, I don't remember what the specific word, but a literal translation over into English would have been put it on the ground and walk on it. So observation, interpretation, and then put it on the ground and walk on it was application. And I think of that when I think about applying God's word. How do we take this to the ground and walk on it? How do we live it out? How do we carry it out? So as we're working through this list this morning that David has for us, I want you to be thinking as well that this is about living God's word. This is about boots on the ground, putting it down and walking it out. He continues... In verse 9, we come across the last two. He says that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. All through now, we've seen David using these different references to Scripture, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, and now, verse 9, we come to the fear of the Lord. And to me, that strikes me as odd. We don't typically refer to Scripture as the fear of the Lord. James Boyce helps me in this In his commentary, he says that this describes the scriptures, the fear of the Lord. It describes the scriptures by the effect they produce in those who respond to the revelation. The fear of the Lord. So it's a reference to scripture, but by the effect that it produces in those of us who respond to it. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's free from moral impurity. It is right, and so that the person who walks in it will walk in moral purity, and it is enduring forever. God's word is enduring forever. It's not subject to the changing tides of opinion or popularity. Today it's this, tomorrow it's the other. It is true, and it is always true, and it will endure forever. 
And then lastly, in the second half of verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules. Maybe like you, you, you hear that and you think, rules. And there's something like in your Americanism or I don't, maybe it's just me, my sinful nature, rules. Kind of grade against rules sometimes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This is what God declares about right and wrong. This would be God's rulings on a matter, his verdicts, the rulings of the Lord, we might say. This is right, this is wrong, this is guilty, this is innocent. They are true, and they are righteous altogether. True and righteous altogether. Psalm 119, verse 52, David says, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. When you think about God's rulings, God's verdicts, God's declarations of right and wrong all throughout time, David says, I I take comfort in that. Because God always gets it right. And he doesn't flip-flop. It's not that today this is right, but tomorrow it's going to be wrong. And we're always trying to guess and figure it out or anticipate what's it going to be next week. We can take comfort because what God says is true and it will always be true He is a perfect judge of matters and coming under that, allowing him to lead us, allowing him to rule us, allowing him to tell us what is right and wrong should bring comfort to us, removes consternation, removes confusion and so much trouble. Ah, what a comfort to come under the Lord's rules because there's consistency there and there is purity. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are always right. Now in verses 10 and 11, just flowing naturally from David's consideration of the law of God, God's word, He starts to talk about the effects of it. We see in verse 10 the desire that we should have and also the delight that we should have. In verse 12, we have a warning and also, excuse me, verse 11, a warning and also a reward. Verse 10, this desire, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. God's word is to have that draw for us, that desire. That is a desire that's deep.
deeply planted in. It's not just a passing, I think today I will and maybe tomorrow I won't. This is something that I'm craving. This is something that I'm needing. If it were anything other than God or his word, we would say it's idolatry, it's wrong. You shouldn't need or want anything that badly. But to need God, recognize your need for God, and to desire his word with that kind of intensity is a great thing. It's a glorious thing. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And then he talks about the delight of God's word. It's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Just think about the tastiest treat, the best thing that you can imagine. And you think, oh, it's delightful. Oh, it's wonderful. God's word should be that for us. And maybe today... That's not you. Riches and gold or other things that you say, yes, this is really what my desire is. And, and what my, my taste is for is for things other than God's word. I really don't delight in God's word. My, my palate is for something different. If you know that, if you recognize that, I would encourage you to pray and to ask God, change my appetites, change my desires. Give me a greater desire for your word, God, and make it so that your word is sweet to my palate. That's a prayer that God will hear. And that's a prayer that God will be faithful to answer. It might not be just like that, Overnight. But if you pray that prayer and you continue to pray that prayer, maybe even ask others to pray that prayer for you, that we could join in with you and pray that prayer for you. I know that God will be faithful to answer them. And then in verse 11, we have the warning and the reward. By them is your servant warned. Can you testify to the goodness of the warnings in God's special revelation, in God's word? This isn't a a condemnation, always telling you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But no, it's keeping you from wrong, keeping you from going off of a cliff. Do you have a story like that in your life where you said, I followed God's word. I felt like I was in the dark. I didn't know what I was doing, but I decided I am just going to follow what he is telling me to do. And you look back and you see, wow, that was a great warning that God gave me because just up ahead, there was a curve and a cliff. And if I hadn't followed God's word, I would have gone off the deep end. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Living in accordance with what God's word says brings great reward.
Is the Bible for you your crisis hotline? When you're in trouble and, and you drop it open and you close your eyes and you stick your finger down and you read, I'm looking for a word from you, Lord, so it's got to be in here and it's going to be this. I hope that's not your approach to God's word. But as we spend time in it, as it's our daily delight and as we devote ourselves to it, it becomes a daily counselor for us. Not just a piece of trivia, but an everyday essential. David, in considering this wonderful revelation of God, the word of God, he sees himself in it, the specific results that it has on him. And that's what we have in verses 12 through 14, that the Bible not only reveals the good character of God, but it also reveals our need for grace. Consideration of God's word makes us reflect on ourselves and see our need for grace. So he prays, verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. That is, I don't even know how bad I am. I don't even know all of the ways that I go about sinning. I see your perfection, God, and I realize how far away I am from it. And I know well enough to realize there are sins that I'm ignorant of, that I don't even know. So declare me innocent. He's praying, God, forgive me. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Even those sins that I commit without even realizing it. Forgive me, Lord. And then in verse 13, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Those are known sins. That is willing sin. I know God's word tells me to not do this, but I'm going to push through and I'm going to do it anyways. That's what presumptuous sin is. That's sin with a high hand. That's arrogant sin. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. He pleads with the Lord to keep him from sinning willingly, willfully, presumptuously. Keep me back from those presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He recognizes his need for the Lord to forgive him and to guard him and keep him so that he might walk in his ways in a way that is blameless. I think about Paul, the apostle, and the further on Paul got in his Christian life so that near the end of his life, he declared himself to be the chief sinner as he wrote his letter to Timothy. You see, Paul was one who grew up knowing the word. He says in Philippians chapter 3 that he was circumcised on the eighth day 
He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I was raised up in it. This is what I cut my teeth on, was the word of God. He, he knew it, but he didn't really know it. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you know the Bible, if you win Bible trivia every time, but you don't know Jesus, you don't know the word. You don't know the word. It is Jesus who was the word made flesh, John tells us in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul grew up under rigorous instruction in the Torah He was one who worked really hard at it. But it wasn't until that day, that day on the Damascus Road, that the word met him. Do you remember? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And on that day, Paul met Jesus, and he understood the true word. He came to know the true word and he came to rightly understand himself. Even in so that as he writes to the Romans, in Romans chapters one through three, he talks about this revelation of God and even people that see the creation, that experience the creation, but then they themselves begin to worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Paul understood the need to know the true word, not just this general revelation about God, He's majestic, he's powerful, he made beautiful things. But to truly know the word of God, the word made flesh. And he ends in verse 14 with this petition. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Transform me, God, by your word so that the words I speak, that the considerations and the ponderings of my heart would be in line with your word, that they would be acceptable to you. God's word reveals his goodness. And God's word reveals our need. And that need is met in the true word, the word become flesh, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for your word.
we thank you that we have not only the Old Testament scriptures, but also the New Testament scriptures, the gospels, the epistles. Lord, we have the telling of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know what is still to come. God, that we have the fullness of your word. And we see all throughout, even as we'll be studying in a few weeks, back in Genesis, your grace at work and your plan of redemption for sinful humanity And we know that that plan of redemption was accomplished through Jesus. Lord God, it's my prayer for us as a church at Pillar Bible Fellowship that we would come to know your scriptures, to know your word in Jesus Christ. That we would know that all of Scripture is pointing to His work on our behalf, the victory that He accomplished for us, and the consummation, the final consummation of that, when we will all be with you for eternity. Lord, direct us in your word. I do pray for us that you would grow us in our desire for your word, that you would grow our appetite for your word, that it would be a delight for us, not just a duty, not just something that we go through the motions of, but it is something that as we spend time in it, we would find that it is so sweet. It is so refreshing for us. Work among us, Lord, to draw us closer to you through your word. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.